another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reason, alongside myself. That's right, I'm doing a myself episode. You probably forgot first is last that we're going to do an episode this week. You said, hey, what about Dre? Well, guess what? You're not going to be asking that question right now because I'm giving you this episode here and now. It's been a week and a half. Forget the Beatles talking eight days a week. This feels like Dormammu, I've come to bargain over and over again. Time has ceased to exist this week. Let me just tell you what's going on. So Armando is out in Connecticut, if you may have forgotten, and he's putting on a performance of Carmen, and I assume this is tech week. I doubt it's show week. It's probably tech week. But he told me last Sunday, he said, hey, man, I can't do the show this week. It's all up to you. See if you can put it together. I believe in you. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate that. You did it yourself once. I can do it myself this time. So then came Monday. Then came Tuesday. And even Wednesday. I have to say I undersold just how busy I was going to be myself this week. Uh, Boulevard Brewing Company is having their annual October Fiesta which is a mashup of Oktoberfest and Dia de los Muertos. We do as a charity event for our friends at the Maddie Road Center, just in the neighborhood. Maddie Road Center is a great place. They work on arts, uh, behavioral health, family help, all that stuff. They're a great cause. You should consider donating. You should consider coming and buying some stuff for proceeds that go towards Maddie Road Center. All this to say, Armando's running Tech Week. I'm essentially running Tech Week for this event that's happening on Sunday. And if you want to see some cool photos, I'll post some photos on the Fountain City Sports Media page. That's right. This is a uh, this is a mutiny. I'm taking over social media for this week. But it's going to be fun. All that to say, it was a very busy week. Even today, I was fighting City Hall for the better part of the day to get permits to go through for this, which we started over a month ago. So bureaucracy at its finest. I like to blame myself because I started watching Parks and Rec again this week. And I'm like, isn't this city council stuff funny? And it's like, not so funny when the shoe's on the other foot, huh? (sighs) So I'm glad that I was able to get this episode out to you all this week. This is going to be a bit of a mashup of the Eagles recap as well as a preview of the big Sunday Night Football showdown against the Buffalo Bills. We can't wait. Let's get diving into this bad boy. So first is last. Chiefs defeated the Philadelphia Eagles last week by a score of 42-30. In reality, it was really more of a 42-23. Eagles scored a garbage time touchdown with like three seconds left against our second string defense. But all this to say, the defense is bad. There is no more sugarcoating this. I am no longer seeing a silver lining on this. This defense is on pace to be the fourth worst defense by pure statistics of all time. I'm talking scoring, yards allowed, all those things they take into factor there. They are on pace to be the fourth worst defense of all time. They are making us wish for the days of Bob Sutton and the 2018 unit because that 2018 unit could at least generate a pass rush. Most of us forget that. We just remember doo-doo one, doo-doo two, and our awful secondary and linebacker core. Nah, 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 nah. That 2018 team could do one thing well, and that was generate a pass rush. This defense, good. 
night. We could probably send out the Iowa Hawkeyes defense and they would at least put up more of a pulse against other teams than this current unit we have going right now. For four straight games, we have allowed 25 or more points, which is completely unacceptable, especially when the Dallas Cowboys and their paltry defense managed to shut down this Philadelphia Eagles team for the better part of three quarters when they played them. The most jarring statistic to me is that we have now gone two straight weeks without forcing a punt. And that's very bad. That's incredibly bad. One game is bad enough, but two in a row, you have a serious problem. And one of the reasons that is, is because other teams do not respect this defense to a degree that they're saying, screw it. We're going to go for it on every fourth down, provided we're past our 40-yard line, and it's at least fourth and seven. The only chance we're going to have to get teams to punt from here on out is going to be teams that are facing like fourth and 10 plus, and they're like, huh, we kind of need a really big pass play in order to make this work. Well, you know what? I would still probably mash the over on the concept that you're going to get that pass play to work because this defense is so torrid. They're bad at every asset of the game right now. We have no pass rush. The Chris Jones defensive end experiment has been a complete flop. Jerron Reed, who we picked up from uh, Seattle in this offseason, who was supposed to be another huge contributor on that defensive line alongside Frank Clark and Chris Jones, he has been a ghost, which is suiting, suitable, I guess, because, you know, this is, this is Halloween month, but he's been an absolute ghost. Speaking of which, at least ghosts show up on Spectrographs. Frank Clark, where on earth have you been? Has that guy played more than five snaps this season? Especially considering that it's a contract here, and he's probably playing for his life right now. It's probably not good. We haven't seen him at all. Man, I feel like he's just checked out. He's like me at a Motel 8. Coming back from a gig, he is checked out. Linebacker core goes without saying. We're starting Ben Neiman, <laughs> you know, who I am not even sure would be a top half linebacker in the CFL. We're starting him. Part of that's because Willie Gay Jr. went on the injured reserve with a turf toe injury right before the season started. I mean, that absolutely set us behind the eight ball. But, dude, we got Anthony Hitchens. We got rookie Nick Bolton, who's played pretty well to his credit. And we've got Ben Neiman. Those are our three linebackers we're rolling out every game right now, and it is bad. Looking into the secondary, you may remember last year against the Bills in the AFC title game, we said, welcome back, Juan Thornhill. Then in the preseason, he balled out, putting a nice little cherry on top of the Sunday with that diving interception in the final preseason game. We said, all right, Juan Thornhill's back. And what have we seen so far this season in our secondary? Tyron Matthew balling out, pay the man, and Daniel Sorensen. Daniel Sorensen again, who maybe he might be a top a top 50% safety in the CFL, but at best, he is a rotational third down nickel safety on this team. And oh my gosh, guys, it's, it's just awful. The one-two punch of Neiman and Sorensen, that's like the one-two punch from one punch man. Saitama, sayonara, it's over. Honestly, our cornerbacks haven't been too bad. We've had Mike Hughes and uh, DeAndre Baker who were acquisitions late last year, early this year. I think they're passable. I don't think our cornerbacks are getting burned the way they have in the past, or at the very least, they're not drawing penalties the way they have in the past. 
I remember back in 2018, that was one of the big issues was anytime we got a third down stop, there'd be some iteration of a holding call. And unfortunately, back then, they didn't even turn around to play the ball. So I couldn't even be like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, turn your head, guys. I will say, Mike Hughes, DeAndre Baker, not perfect. Both former first round picks. They're at least playing the ball, not the player. They're looking okay. But the big albatross here is the fact that we have Neiman and Sorensen starting all the time. And that is just too much for what are substitution players or special team players in the National Football League. They were here and playing four years ago in 2018 on that bad defense. And they're four years older now. Something has got to change. So anyway, on the bright side, Patrick Mahomes... Tyreek Hill had a vintage game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Patrick Mahomes only threw six incompletions, stuff in that stat box, 24 for 30, 278 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. I'm not even going to hold that interception against him because this is what I like to call a Tom Brady call. As in, had this happened to Tom Brady, it would have been a call. Mahomes got whapped with a forearm to the helmet as he was throwing that, which by the book is roughing the passer. It just is. Case in point, I've got the screen grab of when Chris Jones got called for roughing the passer against Tom Brady when he grazed his shoulder pad after Brady had thrown the ball. This ain't about Tom Brady. It's about Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill really came to play 11 receptions, 186 yards for a whopping 17 yards per catch and three touchdowns. Uh, you have Tyreek Hill on your fantasy team. I'm envious, man. Tyreek Hill knows how to ball. Travis Kelsey, a little bit quiet, four receptions, 23 yards. Byron Pringle, two for 23. McCole Hardman, two for 16. It just kind of goes on like that. Now, I know we need another number two receiver, someone to play that X receiver role to get yards across the middle, to get bumped, to get chucked, to get those hard, hard third down catches. But I'll be honest, in a game like this, when other teams have absolutely no answer for Tyreek Hill and he goes off the way he did, you really have to throw to somebody else this game? I don't think you do, to be honest. I really don't think you do. Speaking of receivers, it will be interesting to see what happens this week. We have activated Josh Gordon from the practice squad, and he is expected to make his Kansas City Chiefs debut against the Buffalo Bills this week. That'll be really interesting to see. We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but Josh Gordon is a potential X receiver. And eh, we'll see. Rushing-wise, for the second week in a row, Clyde Edwards-Alaire eclipses the century mark. 14 carries for 102 yards for a 7.3 average. Now, that's pretty impressive. And uh, this is one thing, Hot Take Mondo, I'm calling you out on right now because we're going to debate this when you get back. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, still playing fine. He's not out of my doghouse just yet. I can tell he's making an effort not to fumble when he has the ball more. You've seen him wrap that thing up, hold that thing tight. Don't look a la Indiana Jones. But he's still just playing fine. Uh, you know, a lot of these yards he's getting, he's running more north to south now, which is great. We shouldn't be running him, you know, in uh, counters. We shouldn't be running him in end rounds. He's a north to south back, even as small as he is, because he's kind of shifty. You know, he's, he's small. He's kind of shifty. But all things considered, a lot of these yards, I feel, are courtesy of the offensive line. Tooney and Trey Smith are both ranked in the top five for OVA. For the guard position, uh, Creed Humphrey is ranked top five in centers right now. And Niang, not so great on pass protect, but he's opening up holes on that right side. 
that those three guys we have from center to right tackle, they're playing out of their minds right now. They're they're creating holes. They're pushing their men downfield. They're getting their block set up. They are a big reason for this rushing attack. Honestly, I'm not sure that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is doing a whole bunch for me to justify again saying, oh yeah, that's our first round pick that we probably couldn't find in a third or fourth down running back. So at the very least though, I will redact my what do you say you do here comment because he's showing me you don't just run for 100 yards in two straight games and averaging 7.3 yards very respectable now keep doing it trust is not built overnight I need you to keep doing it looking forward to this week we have the Buffalo Bills on the schedule uh it should be pretty interesting looking at the injury report Oh, man, it was not a great week for the Chiefs. Chris Jones is listed as questionable for the week with a wrist injury. Charvarius Ward also listed as questionable for a quad injury. The good news is Frank Clark was a full participant in practice this week. So in theory, we should have him setting the edge and hopefully causing havoc because we're going to need him to run down Josh Allen. Josh Allen is squirrely. He's six foot six, but oh boy, is he squirrely. He's hard to bring down. He's big. He's strong. He's got a big old strong arm. Man, he is a good quarterback. The big question mark on here, though, is Willie Gay Jr. Now, Willie Gay Jr., as I mentioned, has had a turf toe injury since the last game of the preseason. He was taken off of injured reserve this week, but has yet to be activated to the full 53-man roster, so we don't see him on these injury reports, and we're not sure just how he's doing. He recently said his mental health was not in a good place. Now, I don't know if that means he's dealing with depression or anxiety or he's not trusting that turf toe. And that's what he's talking about on the mental side of things. But get well soon, Willie Gay Jr. We really miss you. We need your explosive athleticism to to contend with some of these teams going down the road. Now, looking at the Bills injury report, the two that really stick out to me, A.J. Epineza, questionable foot injury. I'm really relieved if he won't play. You know, he was a wrecking ball at Iowa and has been wrecking stuff in the pros. Uh, The other one also listed as questionable is everyone's favorite Bills linebacker. Uh, Shout out to Ladyfinger George uh, or whatever his name is. Uh, Matt Milano, excuse me, wrong cookie. He is also listed as questionable with the hamstring injury. You know, so... We'll see. I feel like the Chiefs are probably missing more considering that these are all defensive players and our defense is bad enough as it is. We are in a triage unit right now. I think keys to the game here will be outscore the Bills. Simple as it sounds, outscore the Bills. I am not super impressed with who the Bills have played so far. They got beat pretty convincingly by the geriatric corpse of Ben Roethlisberger and a Pittsburgh Steelers team that is doing more talking than ticking right now. They've also had three cupcake teams since then. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Bills are a bad team. Look, Buffalo Mike, giving you a huge shout-out. You're a great Bills analyst. A lot of the Buffalo fans that have come through the beer hall this week, they seem like really cool guys know what they're talking about. Also, kind of shout-out to the guy in the beer hall wearing a Josh Allen Wyoming jersey because that's pretty cool. That's a deep cut. I mean, I, I bet most people wouldn't know where he went to college. They're probably like, oh, I don't know. Florida State. Now, Craig Bull product, Wyoming. But what I say when the key is to outscore them, I mean, I firmly welcome 2018 Chiefs Rams Monday Night Football Part 2 because our defense is going to have no answer 
for these Bills. I mean, straight up, no answer for the Bills. Not saying there's some otherworldly all-time offense, but this is a very good offense with a lot of weapons. And oh man, Stephon Diggs is going to eat. He is going to eat. We got him once, but we're not going to get him this time. And I know I, people are probably saying right now, they've been saying to me all week, but Reese, if you remember, we slowed down this Bills defense and offense in the AFC title game last year. Why won't we do the same? We won't do the same for two big reasons. One, Willie Gay Jr. Two, Juan Thornhill. You've been paying attention? They are the opposites. They are the suns to the moons that are Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman. We had a far more explosive ball hawking defense in that AFC title game, and it was led by the athleticism of those two players. Right now, we are missing some of our most athletic players at every level on the defense, line because of injuries and phantom injuries, linebacker because of injuries, and in our secondary, because for some reason, Steve Spagnuolo is too stubborn to admit that Juan Thornhill is an X-factor that Dan Sorensen does not. I could probably rip on those guys more, but I'm not going to because it is unbecoming of me. And I like to think that I'm sort of, you know, a decent, a decent person at heart. We'll find out. But case in point, I don't think there's anything we can scheme to stop Josh Allen. The big thing is we haven't been getting pressure on the quarterback all year, and it's a big trickle-down effect. If you can't get pressure on the quarterback, they're going to have four to five seconds every time to pass. Josh Allen, four to five seconds every time he's pass, he's going to find a guy open. Plays just break down after four to five seconds, and Stephon Diggs will be wide open for seven or eight yards, I guarantee you, every time. Also, he is, like I said, a big, squirrely, fast son of a gun. We don't have anybody with chase down speed on Josh Allen right now. That's when you want to have a linebacker spy, which normally would be Willie Gay, but unfortunately with him not here, who's our spy? Neiman? Dude, I, you know what? No, I'm going to take this I almost said one-on-one. -on -one I would try and truck Neiman. I think Neiman would probably break me in half. That being said, I have not trained in football for the last 20 years of my life. Ben Neiman would break me in half. Put it on the list. More importantly, I'm not the one Ben Neiman needs to stop this week. It's Josh Allen. So I think Josh Allen's going to eat with his legs. I think he's going to eat with his arm. I think that Buffalo offense is going to eat all day. So what does that mean? It means we need Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to really show out this game. I don't think this Bills defense is that great. I don't think this is the same Bills defense we saw in that 2018-2019 season. I think it's more along the lines of the version we saw last year, which, to be honest, if the Chiefs defense was this good, I would say, golly gee whiz, I like our Super Bowl chances, but Chiefs defense is not as good as the Bills defense. That being said, you know they say don't let perfection be the enemy of good? It's kind of the, the, the other way around. You know, it's like... If I have a car that's, you know, a junker and it breaks down on the highway, is that much better than a car that's straight up on fire? No, they can both be bad cars, but at least the car that can break down on the highway has the ability to get on the highway, unlike the Chiefs defense. So I think one X factor in this game might be if Josh Gordon comes back, seeing if he is any sort of X factor as an X receiver for this offense. We've really been missing a big body wide receiver on third downs. And when Sammy Watkins was healthy, he was that X factor. I mean, we saw when he burned Richard Sherman. We saw him when he took that go home clinching touchdown against the Titans in the 2019 AFC championship game. We need that receiver that on third down, if they're going to bracket cover Tyreek Hill with too high, they're going to double team Travis Kelsey. We need that guy who's going to be like, you know what? Middle of the field's open. I'm going to lay it out there. Probably get crunched in doing it, but catch this ball on third and eight and move those chains. I think that's a big thing. Catch that ball on third and eight, move the chains, 
be there when option one and option two are all locked up. And Josh Gordon, if you eat for six, seven, maybe even 800 yards this year, please, 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 I will be more than happy with the contribution to this team. So those are my keys to the game here. I need Patrick Mahomes to ball out. I need the defense to maybe make one stop. Just one stop this game might be the difference because I think it's too much to ask for our offense to be perfect every time. It's just too much to ask. I know this is potentially a historically great offense we have going right now, but there's a difference between the Bills have a turnover, the Bills will get the ball back, and they'll be able to move on our defense. If we get one turnover on the Bills, that might be the one blink we have in the fight that allows the Bills to throw the knockout haymaker. So, you can call me Doubting Thomas all you want. I think this game is too close to call because I think it's going to be so high scoring. I can see it being 40-38 either way. I could honestly see it being 40-30 Bills just because they have that putrid, torrid, languishing defense they get a lineup against. Well, all this doubt and sadness has made me thirsty, so I'm going to go crack a beer really quick and do a beer review. So everybody hang tight. I will BRB. right it is this week in craft beer the part of the podcast where we sit down and talk about what's going on this week in craft beer and also review a delicious beer for your listening pleasure now this week you might be saying well last episode you guys talked about doing a some sort of Oktoberfest reviewing segment every week guess what nerds you better believe it. Just because Armando's not here doesn't mean I can't bring the spirit by myself. I am overflowing with October festivity right now. I have got a delicious, crispy German lager in one hand and a tulip glass in the other hand. And because Armando's not here, I'm probably going to throw some sort of crazy sound effects behind this. Some sort of thunder, some sort of lightning, just to like make this seem really official and really cool. And guess what? We're going to use this all month because this is not just this week in craft beer. It is Officially, it's the hunt for Red Oktoberfest. And this week, you better believe that I am bringing the heat. Martin City Brewing, which is a Kansas City kind of like hidden gem. Like the people that know about the beer scene know about Martin City, but it's not one that like people come from out of town or like, okay, I got to hit Boulevard. I got to hit Torn Label. I got to hit Martin City. Now it, it don't go that way, but that's not fair because Martin City puts out some fantastic beer. And today for you, I am reviewing Martin City Oktoberfest Lager. Now this lager is particularly a Meritzen lager. So it's going to be kind of what you see when people are saying, oh, this is an Oktoberfest beer. So that's why I'm expecting this to be kind of darker, you know, malty, maybe a little bit of crackerness to it. Not a whole bunch, but maybe a little bit. A lot of toffee notes, probably an amberish color. That's sort of what I think this beer is going to be. So without further ado, Prost. For those of you playing at home that might not be familiar with our podcast, we do review beers on a five-point system. Those systems being appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. And with each category, we do give a rating of 1 to 10. 1 obviously being low, 10 being high. This is not golf. You want to score as high as possible. So looking at this beer in my glass... 
it is indeed very amberish, but interestingly enough, uh, this beer is kind of hazy and not in a, you know, a, a gross, disgusting way. I'll wait and see if it settles at all. But, you know, a lot of Oktoberfest lagers I've seen are very clear, not necessarily pristine crystal. Results may vary, but I mean, this one looks like the hazy IPA version of a Meritzen. So that'll be really interesting to try and see how that affects like mouthfeel and the overall flavors of things. The head, I have to say, is very attractive. It was an inch. It's down to about a half inch at this point. A pretty uniform fo uh, foamy head. I'm seeing some bubbles popping in there. It's going down a little bit, but, you know, lace sticking to the glass. Again, very uniform. Man, seeing it cloudy, though, that's really interesting and a bit of a wild card. So I'm not going to straight up come out swinging for the fences on this rating. I'm going to give it a ignorantly hesitant 7.5 to start for appearance. Number two on this scale is Aroma. That is a very attractive aroma. That is a very sweet aroma. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of like stone fruity sweetness in there maybe. A little bit of prune, a little bit of apricot, which honestly smells pretty, smells pretty uh, good to my nose. And you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, prunes and apricots are gross. Grandmas take those to help use the bathroom. It's like, no, those are very like the equivalent of being a savory sweetness. So I'm all about that. Uh, I do get a touch of like sulfur in here but that's not super uncommon with lagers and this is very inoffensive it's not like i'm sticking my nose in an american pilsner or something like that so for aroma we're gonna bump this back up i'm saying the aroma on this is an 8.8 on aroma it smells very very appealing number three if this is everyone's favorite time of the podcast this is everyone's favorite category of everyone's favorite time of the podcast and that is flavor Yep, that is some sweet toffee malty goodness. Sweet toffee malty goodness. Yeah, this is pretty good. I'm not going to lie. You get a lot of that uh, sweet, bready fruitiness going down. And uh, kind of when you exhale, this isn't quite aftertaste, but I'm getting a lot of that hot bitterness in the sides too, which you know a lot of people discount how important hops are in a lot of these German lagers. Uh, it don't believe it specifically says what they put in there, but my guess is, you know, some sort of, uh, some variety of the noble hops in there, but I will find that out and post it online as soon as I do. But all things considered, this is a tasty beer. Yeah. I would say it holds its, it holds its own. It tastes very complete. It doesn't taste like a small time brewery. You know, I'm going to give flavor on this, say, uh, 8.5 for flavor. Next category up is mouthfeel. You know, it's got a very light mouthfeel to it, much more akin to water than even juice. It's also got a very sparkling, effervescent mouthfeel to it. A lot of Oktoberfests I've had, like these Meritzen styles, they're generally, I don't want to say heavy in the mouthfeel, but a very like rich fullness in the mouthfeel for a lager. This one's a little bit more sparkling. This would be more like what I'd kind of see if I had like a Fest beer, you know, or something like that. Uh, all these, it's not inoffensive. It's not bad. It's light. It's crisp. It's crushable. Uh, let's give mouthfeel on this uh, 8.4. 8.4. All right. And now aftertaste. And what's really interesting is, you know what? Yeah, I would say the hops are a bit more prevalent on the aftertaste. I, I redact my statement. The hops are more prevalent. 
bitterness comes out. But I would also say you get more of the caramel notes in this on the aftertaste than on the front half, which is it's cool. You know, it's uh, it's good for this style of beer. I think it's very inoffensive. I like, like I said, I like my beers to have a bitter back to them in the aftertaste. I like those in my IPAs. I like those in my lagers, you know, because to me, it's like you get the sweet up front, you get the bitter back. You know, it's kind of like when I went to the movies the other night and I cut my sweet, I cut my buttery, salty popcorn with a nice sour, sour beer. You know, it's, it's the contrast and that's what makes the world go round. Sun, moon, I can't rate this too soon, but I'm going to give aftertaste on this. 8.4. Keep it in the 8.4 category. All right. And for the category that everybody always gets caught off guard for, and they say, I thought you only had five categories. And we say, nope, we have a six secret category. It's called BDQ. And what does that stand for? It stands for Bitter Danke Quotient. Please, thank you, Big Stonks Drinkability Quotient. Now, this is what's funny about this beer. You know how I mentioned how Martin City might not be like super big time in the, you know, like the, the beer connoisseurs that are coming from out of state? It's a very unassuming can. Uh, the stuff is distributed or that breaches distribution from what I've seen is a lot like this can. It is an aluminum can where they put a sticker wrap on it, you know, which is a lot of hard work. I have stickered a lot of cans in my day, but it's an attractive artwork. You know, they have the Bavarian flag diamond shapes going on there. They got three steins, you know, foaming at the top, and they got a German's Traveler hat on there. Uh, and like I said, this beer swings with the big boys. This does not taste like, you know, your local breweries, uh, small-time brewery, Oktoberfest, lager, Meritzen, whatever you want to call it, blah, 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 blah. No, it's like if you put this in front of someone, they wouldn't be able to dissect anything wrong with it. This is a very good beer. This is a very crisp, clean take on a Meritson-style lager. And for that reason, I'm going to come out here. This is a beautiful double where they could have stretched into the triple, but they're a big enough gentleman to say, you know what, I don't need to. I trust the next guy is going to bat me in. And that's why BDQ on Oktoberfest from Martin City is going to get an 8.8 .8 from me. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the first iteration of The Hunt for Red Oktoberfest. Armando will hopefully be back next week to try a delicious Oktoberfest beer of his own. Probably from one of those big, stonky Colorado breweries, if you can get them out there. You know, a bit like Prost. I did my best not to take Prost, Armando. I left it at the store because I assumed you were going to review it. So, you're welcome. But hopefully, we'll be back to a two-person cast next week. We'll be back, hopefully, talking about a Chiefs victory next week to get back into over 500 ball play. But thank you for listening to me talking to you for the past 35 minutes. I hope you've had as enlightening of a spiritual experience as I have. Go Chiefs! We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Thank you.